Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. True or do not, there is no tomorrow. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast today. We've got Louise Taylor. Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, John Farthing, and I'm Hazel Burton. On the show today, we've got our film buff or film buff quiz. And since Marvel have just announced their Phase 4 plans, we thought we'd add a few more in there. So John and I are going to pitch our new Marvel ideas to our panel of Kevin Feige standards. And we're bringing back our Taking One for the Team segment. We're going to be talking about the film The Dead Don't Die, and there's some differing opinions across the nerds. So, let's start the show. So, everyone is still very much together after last time's Mr. and Mrs. Quiz, Mm. the nerd quiz. (laughs) Well, of course we are. We were triumphant and victorious. Yes, we've even taken a step up. (laughs) Absolutely right. (laughs) And I've realised that uh, maybe I'm with the wrong one and Andy... (laughs) Would you like to uh, um, come, right back to, come, back to, come back to my place after the show? This is your place. You're We're already all here. in my place, but you know. <laughs> hey, I'm the one who got your Jaws question, right? Yeah, that's yeah good, to be fair, he's all dead. Have no. you gone for that drink yet? <laughs> <laughs> so all we're saying is maybe, you know. All right, bye then. Every, everyone but Louise. Everyone but Louise. Back to my place. <laughs> <laughs> it's my place too. That's not fair. Is that our prize for winning? Threesome with John. Yes. <laughs> All the booby prize. Second place is two threesomes with John. A <laughs> uh, booby prize indeed. So now it's time for our film buff or film bluff quiz. So what happens here is we all have three facts, but one of them we have deviously made up. So we've got to try and work out which one is the bluff. John, would you like to bluff us first? I would love or to bluff to. you all. <laughs> So we are all aware of the high-budget Marvel superhero films. What is less commonly known is that there are a number of lower-budget, not entirely official, unlicensed foreign knockoffs of Marvel films that were popular in the 80s into the 90s. The one that I didn't use, because it's fairly well-known, is um, are we all aware of Japanese Spider-Man? No. No, No. tell us more. Japanese Spider-Man has a car and fights giant robots and a completely different backstory. So essentially, it's the Power Rangers, but with a (laughs) Spider-Man costume instead of a Red Ranger. How do you become Spider-Man without being bitten by a radioactive spider? I'm not entirely sure. I think radiation might have had something to do with it, but I'm not an expert. it's It's a great series, and I recommend checking it out when you're stoned. Sounds great. But these are three lesser-known knockoffs. Two of these real, one is made up. Number one, Turkish Spider-Man, which also features Turkish Captain America. Now, in this film, Spider-Man is a villain who decapitates bodies and is brought down by Captain America, who teams up with Santos the Masked Wrestler to kill Spider-Man over and over again, and Spider-Man somehow keeps coming back to life. Either there's multiple Spider-Mans or he's immortal. Who knows? (laughs) second one is the Chinese Hulk now the Chinese Hulk appeared on a game show called Don't Make the Man Angry basically they started off as a normal Japanese game show but if the contestants got more than a certain number of answers wrong the host would get more and more visibly agitated and if they got more than five questions wrong the host would run behind a wall 
and then the Hulk would run back from behind the wall and start smashing the setup while going <laughs> Hulk smash, contestant wrong, make Hulk angry, and things to that effect. In English? In English, yeah. Was it Lou Ferrigno? It wasn't, no. This actually predates the American TV says this was late 70s, but about a year or so before. And finally, we have Italian Batman. Italian Batman is an erotic film where Batman... Batman, Batman is an alien for planet Eros, who along with <laughs> who along with his sidekick, masturbated Robin. Oh come on, John! <laughs> has to fight his way through all the villains, um, including the gay penguin. <laughs> oh, I love that it's Italian Batman and masturbating Robin. <laughs> so, is it Turkish Spider-Man, Italian Batman, or Chinese Hulk? I love them all. Clearly, Italian Batman is the most John thing that I've ever heard. Whenever masturbation's involved. But masturbating part Robin of my is brain is saying, I might have heard of Italian Batman before. Have you heard of masturbating Robin, though? Sadly, no. Mm. I'm glad to have heard it tonight, though. Mm. Um, the, I mean, Turkish Captain America is That's a very, very strange... the least crazy one, which yeah. kind of makes me think it's the bluff. But they not call him Captain Turkey? Exactly. No, it's <laughs> Captain America. And Santos the Vesle is a famous Turkish... Yeah. I mean, Daniel Watkins isn't here, but I know some stuff about wrestling and I, I don't think there's a big Turkish wrestling scene. And you might be thinking of El Santo, who's a famous Mexican wrestler who starred in a lot of films. Oh, mm. his eyes are flicking rapidly. Hey, maybe El Santo forward. might be the name, but it certainly is a <laughs> Turkish film because he's a masked wrestler. So maybe he's a Mexican wrestler. But Now, I don't know whether it was you or whether it was the people behind it, but there's a very Wizard of Oz feel about the Hulk one. They came from behind the curtain and like, <laughs> no, 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 it's me, and telling everybody off. Uh, yeah. It's a different actor. It's not like, so like, the normal actor goes behind and then a different like bodybuilder type guy comes and just starts smashing the setup. And yeah. were you saying it was a TV show and then they made a film? No, no, it was a game show. So it was nothing to do with the... Oh, okay. Yeah, it was completely different to anything that's gone afterwards. Oh, I don't believe any of them. <laughs> no, they're all <laughs> ludicrous. Yeah. I'm so pleased that two of them are true. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to pick the most John-sounding, which is the third one. Yeah, as much as I think I've heard of Italian Batman before, if I choose anything else and it turns out that yeah. the very obviously fake one is fake, <laughs> then I'm going to seem like an idiot. So I have to choose Italian Batman. Mm. Italian Batman. Now, I've been down this road before and I've picked the gross one that I'm sure John had made up and it was true. So I'm going to avoid that one on that basis. Now, Turkish one, that sounds plausible. Gonna go for Hulk coming oh. from behind the curtain in it Wizard of Oz 2. <laughs> Turkish Captain America sounds plausible. Decapitating Spider Man and Turkish <laughs> Captain America. Well, yeah, um, Hulk smash me. Okay, well, if I will show you oh, we masturbating a, 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 pic, a picture of Italian Batman. <laughs> I knew I'd seen him before. Oh. I recognised that moustache. Oh, wow. He looks like Ron Swanson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the Chinese Hulk is made up. Yeah. Oh. There is no, there's no game show. Where, Where did you the, get that from? Where's it was? From my brain. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Wouldn't you not pay, pay to see a game show where if you've got enough answers wrong, the host turn into the Hulk and smash you up? <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> no, that's just you. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Andy. I have three facts about Home Alone. Ooh. Ooh. That's ah! I nearly did Christmas movies and I didn't know why I would do that. Oh, please. I hate that film. Oh, it's because of that last Christmas trailer. Oh, God. have we all seen the last Christmas trailer? No. It's awful. He's so a ghost. He's a ghost. He's I mean, a ghost. He's, he's definitely a ghost. A ghost. Oh. oh, heart transplant. 
There's talk of a Home Alone reboot mm. and Corley Culkin sent in a photo of what that would be now, which is basically <laughs> him, him sitting in his underpants <laughs> just staring at the TV, just eating chips. <laughs> he must have something. He had Myla Kunis for a long time. There must be something there. Did she get away? She did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Only into the arms of Ashton Kutchner. Ashton Kutchner. <laughs> Ashton Kutchner kind of says name. Number one, nine-year-old Macaulay Culkin's stunt double was a 30-year-old man. <laughs> Number two, Daniel Stern, who played Marv, got frostbite in his toes from walking barefoot in the snow. Mm. And number three, John Candy's entire supporting role was shot in just a single day. Mm. Mm. Was it actually shot at Christmas with real snow? Yeah. That's what I was just trying to think. It's Chicago, isn't it? I can't imagine they'd shoot outdoors with real snow. I think it must have been quite a long shoot as well. Mm. He had his shoes off for pretty much the entirety of the shoot, so if he had frostbite, he had to like climb through the window and then stand on the uh, Christmas ornaments and like slip on uh, oil that he put on the stairs and then stand on a nail. There's a lot of uh, maybe foot, he had stunt feet. But then if they filmed when it wasn't actually cold, that wouldn't have been that bad for mm. him. There's a lot of foot action in Home Alone. Are you sure it's not a Tarantino film? <laughs> oh. Good job, Keanu Reeves wasn't cast. Oh, with his six toes, yes. I have a feeling I've heard the John Candy filmed in a day fact before. Yeah, and I don't think Macaulay Culkin's stunt double being a thirty-year-old man. Could have been a 30-year-old, very short person. Yes. Oh, Macaulay Culkin could have been a very tall nine-year-old. Mm. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Frostbite for me. But yeah, I, I, I imagine most films with child actors probably have slender jockey types. Yeah, it's like Lord of the Rings, the scale doubles for The Hobbits, where um, there was like a 50-year-old man in there. Mm-hmm. Mm. There was that bit in Jurassic Park where the girl climbed through the vent and they show you the effects where they pasted the teenage girl's face on her and yeah. that was like an adult stunt woman with a wig mm. on i've heard john candy what i think so i think i'm gonna go for spike so many they were in the airport they were in a van they went back to the house could you film all that in a day actually could you film john, john candy was just in the van maybe slightly at the airport just he taps her on the shoulder and said so we're going there do you want, do you want, do you want to get in do you want to get into my van get in my van <laughs> so innocent times yeah. frostbite for me I'm going to go with the van. Not the van. Never go with the van. I'm going to go with the John Candy. If anyone ever says you want to go with the van, the answer is no. So we have three Frostbites and one candy. Yes. The Frostbites have it. Yay! Um, Stern wore rubber feet while filming. So uh, at at times uh, there was real snow. At other times they used what amounted to mashed potato to act as stunt snow, but he wore rubber feet, which once you know that and you see that scene, you can actually catch it. It looks ridiculous. But apart from that, as you mentioned, Hazel, he did use his own bare feet to stand mm. on Christmas ornaments, mm. which was Yikes. horrific. Uh, yeah, the uh, very small 30-year-old at the time stuntman was named, and probably still is named, Larry Nicholas, and he also worked on Jurassic Park, Waterworld, and The Matrix Le- Reloaded. Was it him who um, fell through the vent in Jurassic Park? I thought that was a velociraptor. It's not funny. It's like a man it's, getting hit in the head. There was a point a few can. years ago where I realised I was an adult and it was because I watched Home Alone and I just thought, he's being terrible to those people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who I was talking to. Maybe I heard it on the radio. Like the amount of times they would have died over and over again yeah, from what the, they experienced. The iron in the head. Oh, God. There's yeah. other films where you can like yeah. hit someone in the head once and they'll yeah. die instantly. And that one, they. I mean,. Home Alone 2 is even worse, where they throw bricks from the top of a building. Um, yeah, that one just felt times. nasty. Electrocuted, uh, blowtorch. Yeah, grim. Another fact that I didn't use from that is that uh, there's one scene where they're 
intimidating Macaulay Culkin when they catch him and uh, Joe Pesci threatens to bite his fingers off and he does put his finger in his mouth and um, while practicing that scene Pesci got a little bit too into it and bit a bit too hard on <gasps> Macaulay Culkin's finger and he still has a scar to this day wow. from Joe Pesci's teeth. Okay, mine are on the links between Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas in the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. Mm. Number one, Ducas. Number one, George Lucas once said the character of Han Solo was partly based on his friend Coppola. Number two, Coppola's well known for working with his own family, but six of his relatives worked across the Star Wars films. And for the third one, a vehicle in The Phantom Menace was named after Coppola's son. Hmm, I can believe that six of them worked on the films because most of them do work in films, don't they? In various capacities. Sophia was Sophia. in Phantom Menace. She, she was a handmaiden. She was Keira Knightley's double or something? Or yeah. That was Keira Knightley. Oh, she... Uh, wait. Natalie Portman. She was... Yeah, she was one of Natalie Portman's Oh, God, yeah. Keira Knightley was... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think maybe another Coppola relative had a small role in something. Isn't Nicolas Cage a Coppola relative? He Nicolas is. Cage is a Coppola. Has he ever been in any Star Wars? No, but he should be. should. <laughs> Should have been Obi Wan. Adam Driver's the man you get when you can't get Nicolas Cage. He's definitely not voiced any characters or anything like that. Not that I'm aware of. Mm, okay, he's not into Star Wars like he's into superheroes, is he? No, it's not a big sci-fi. Fan. He's not really done much sci-fi. There's a lot of other Coppolas though. Yeah, we would about these could be like off-screen roles as well. Like I don't know, like one of his relatives is a sound guy and stuff like that, so... Is it like blood relatives, or could it be like a son-in-law? Or I can, yeah, it could include that degree like, of extended family, or an ex-son-in-law, like Spike Jonze. Mm. Maybe mm. was he involved in Star Wars? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's only half. Where an are you going with this? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, I can be- I can believe that one because there's so many of them yeah. working in film, so that seems plausible. Yeah, that sounds like an interesting fact that you come across. You go, yeah, I'm gonna have to use that as a doubler. <laughs> um, the other one I don't believe is I don't believe the Han Solo one because Francis Ford Coppola doesn't strike me as like the roguish, rebellious sort of type. Yeah, but this is Francis Ford Coppola in the 70s, not old Francis Ford Coppola making terrible films. This is young mm. Francis Ford Coppola blazing away through the studio system, making independent films against the odds, trekking through <laughs> the Amazon to find Colonel Kurtz and mm-hmm, yeah. all that malarkey. Okay, but fighting the Empire, okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Han Solo didn't, he wasn't bothered about fighting, he just he looked after himself. He's what he just Shaggy's mate's sister, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. Um, you know, he didn't. He just sold himself to the highest bidder. And which <gasps> Coppola ultimately about did? For Coppola, yeah. though. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, the plot thickens. What was the last one again? The one about a car. Yeah, that a vehicle in the Phantom Menace was named after Coppola's son. Do you know? So, want to know what the son was called? Podres. <laughs> <laughs> Podres Coppola. That's quite catchy. <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> he had a son called Giancarlo. Doesn't sound very Star Warsy, but he I guess he could son. have. Yeah, this is a son that died. Oh. And died not that long, I'm guessing, before The Phantom Menace came out. Let's go in like serious for a moment. Jack is a fucking awful film. And everyone everyone takes a piss out of Jack. You know the, the Robin Williams film? I love oh. that film. No, oh, it's, it's, it's awful. But if you watch Jack, knowing that that's the first film that he made after his son died at a very young age. Yeah. And it's about somebody living their life 
in a shortened period of time. Yeah. You can kind of see where he's coming from when he oh, made it. Okay. It's but, a genuinely moving performance from Robert Williams as well. It is. Don't, don't, don't question me. It is. Okay. Okay. I won't, I, I, I won't question you. So I can see them being friends and with that happening, that there would be a mm. car named after him. Yeah. Okay. Well, based on that, I would go with the Han Solo. Or... Yeah, I'm going to go Han Solo. I'm going to go with that there's either seven or five people that worked on Star Wars. <laughs> oh, that's mean. But well, that does sound quite Peter-y though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to okay. go for the Sun Vehicle Connection. George Lucas did once say the character of Han Solo was partly based on Coppola. Mm-hmm. Something to do with his roguish charm and persuasiveness. I need to see a picture of young Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> now, I think. Does it look like young Harrison Ford? I think it was I'm the character. i Google that now. And a vehicle in The Phantom Menace was named after his son. It's called the Jan Speeder. Aww. I don't mind that I don't remember that. <laughs> the one that was incorrect is how many people in his family worked on oh. Star Wars. <laughs> is it five or seven? It was a number one we should have known. <laughs> it is four. <laughs> so you're nearly right. Uh, Sophia and Roman were both in episode one. His brother-in-law worked at ILM on effects. And he had a nephew who has worked as the dialogue coach on episode four. Wasn't bad mm. in the 70s. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, it looks a bit like Victor now just Alter. In, Francis Ford Coppola was hot. It looks like Victor Alter, the Leeds United director of football. I think we're all thinking that, John. Yeah, that was my first thought. <laughs> looks to me a little bit like if David Duchovny went a little bit insane off the road. There is an episode of Sex and the City that stars David Duchovny yes. and he's uh, from a mental asylum. He's in a mental asylum. <laughs> yes, I remember that one too. Have you seen the, him on the Larry Sanders show where he's not gay but he's attracted to Larry? Yeah. <laughs> he had a lot of interesting bit parts. He was, yeah. Um, he was um, Twin Peaks. Yeah. So keeping it on track. I'm sorry. <laughs> you need to shawarma? Oh, shit, yes. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, Louise goes to cook a shawarma, true Avengers style I will conclude our film buff or bluff. So mine is about movie costumes. Number one, the Robocop costume was so bulky that Peter Weller couldn't fit into a car whilst wearing it. So every shot where he's driving the car, he's wearing the top half, but in the bottom half, he's only got his underpants. Why didn't they just build a bigger car, like a giant car well they did actually they built special sports cars yeah. for the movie and they arrived on set and everyone just thought they looked ridiculous really? i assume those are the things they blow up with the rocket launchers mm. oh the yes you yeah. so they then used something like a ford taurus spread matte black instead mm-hmm. number two for his role in fight club jared leto was cast as angel face whom the narrator becomes incredibly jealous of because he's so beautiful to encapsulate the angelness, Jared Leto consistently wore angel wings on set that he purchased from a local fancy dress shop. What a dick. Mm. I didn't see them in the film. Were they digitally removed? Or did he take them off he, he for t- shorts? He, he took them off, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number three. Whilst filming Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the actors voicing the cartoon characters would be on set to deliver their dialogue from the wings in order to help the on-screen actors. The voice of Roger, Charles Fleischer, took this to an extreme by insisting the costume department make him a Roger Rabbit costume, which he wore at all times while delivering his lines, despite not appearing in front of the camera at all. The rest of the cast insisted on Kathleen Turner wearing a Jessica Rabbit costume. (laughs) (laughs) 
I can believe that last one. Okay, I've I seen that because when that. I was a kid, there was a, a making of Roger Rabbit documentary that was on ITV that I watched over and over again. And it's one of the things actually that got me interested in behind the scenes stuff because I was fascinated as to how they did all the tricks and everything. Mm-hmm. Are you sure you weren't watching Donnie Darko? Possibly. There was a creepy man in a rabbit costume. Hmm. Why are you assuming that he looked creepy? Because it's he a grown been... man dressed as a rabbit. <laughs> oh, he, he could have been a, a With bunny ears. Darling, yeah. no. Come and taste my chocolate eggs. That's what he said to me in my nightmares. Um, but I've seen I've seen Charles Flesher in that outfit, and he was really into it. He thought he was Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. That's why he's never worked since. He's in a he's in a mental asylum. He's in a hospital. Okay. Jared Leto is um, a, a strange individual. Oh, there's news. <laughs> Fully plausible. Second one. Yeah. Yeah, he's done all sorts. He, he he claims to be a method actor. So there's a story of when he was filming Blade Runner 2049, constantly wearing a blindfold in the set and having his assistants roll him onto the set. And his character wasn't even blind. No, he was just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I can believe the Robocop costume thing because I know there are a couple mm. of issues with their costumes. I don't uh, think he could even sit down in the costume, could uh-huh. he? Do you not see him get out of the car at some point? No, you can do that with editing. I, I can't. <laughs> I'm actually quite entertained by the notion of Robocop in his pants. You're getting confused by the promo image which showed him like half in, mm-hmm. half out of the car. So I think your memory's playing tricks on you there. You're remembering that's been in the film. Quite possibly. Can we? Can, can you do your Robocop for us? Uh, not without an effect unit. <laughs> Sir of the public trust. <laughs> I used to Keep see the peace, you. uphold the law. <laughs> Something else. That's uncanny. <laughs> Memories have been disappointed by conversions in the <laughs> late 80s. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for the one that I can't remember. I'm going to go for the Jared Leto and Jared the Leto, Angel Wings. Yes. Okay. Because I know the other two are true. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I've read both the other two. And although Jared Leto is the type of dickhead that would do something like that, I think you made that one up. Okay. Yeah, considering John knows that the non-Jared Leto facts are true, I'm, I'm going to go with the Jared Leto one as the bluff. You're all correct. Hey. Made that one up. <laughs> Although, you know, I don't know for sure, so you never know. Although maybe he did it, but he couldn't talk about it. Because that's the first rule of Fight Club. A terrible rule for promo. Yeah. <laughs> so we've learned something today. What have we learned, John? We've learned that it's important to look behind the screen at the making of film because one day when that little John in 1987 on a Sunday morning was sat with his mum and his dad saying, Mummy, Daddy, can we watch the making of Who Framed Roger Rabbit? For the 15th time. And they said, yes, John, yes, we can. If they'd have said no, had they been bad parents, I wouldn't have got that before bluff so i'd like to dedicate this podcast to 32 years later something in your life finally pays dividends yes playing the long game so i'd like to dedicate this podcast to gene and paul farthing my wonderful parents for letting me watch the making of roger rabbit over and over again and also let me watch robocop when i was seven (laughs) which hasn't scarred you at all So now we're going to do our segment that we call Taking One for the Team. Uh, 
and this is where we watch a film that might have some dissenting opinions about it. Uh, Louise and John, you're going to take control of this. What did you watch recently? I watched the masterpiece that is The Dead Don't Die, the new zombie comedy from Jim Jamush. And I watched the indulgent art house waffle <laughs> that is Jim Jamush's incredibly derivative film, The Dead Don't Die. So uh, what what was it about? <laughs> it was Shaun of the Dead, but in the Deep South. That's what it was. Is this the one with a really good cast? Yeah, so basically... Yeah, amazing cast. Your leads are Bill Murray, Adam Driver. Chloe Sevigny, Tilda Swinton. Don't know if it's Tilda Swinton. Steve Buscemi is in there. Yeah, uh, Danny, Danny Glover. Glover. Who else? Every, loads of people. Um, Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop turns up there. Azier from the Wu-Tang Clan. It, the cast is amazing. It's just sad that they had nothing to work with. Selena Gomez pops up. Yes, she does. Adam Driver chops her head off and tosses it across the hotel room. (laughs) Are we doing a spoiler-free dissection of this film? Not anymore. No. Well, this was not made clear to me. So So basically, Bill Murray and Adam Driver are two... And Chloe Sevigny. Okay, but they, I would say they are the main protagonists. Yeah, this is another objection I have about the film. There's three policemen and, well, two policemen and a policewoman. Chloe Savigny is all the worst stereotypes of a woman. Like, she's the one who cries at the sight of the dead body and is too queasy and can't carry on. And she's the one who cowers in the corner and has the breakdown. And it just feels really lazy. Sounds normal. Yeah. <laughs> may, may, may I? May I? going to make you cry the corner in a minute. <laughs> may I explain the plot as I've been asked to do four times yes, already? Go on then. Without further interruption. I'll be silent. Like Chloe Savigny. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. You just sit there in the corner and cower. Push your glasses up your nose and say nothing. Bill Murray and Adam Driver are two cops. It starts with them coming across Tom Waits, who's like a survivalist living in the woods around this small town. And they have a little bit of banter for about 40 minutes, and then some dead people turn up. Iggy Pop. How could they tell? It just looks like he didn't have a wash for a day. He's just the same as Iggy Pop otherwise. He's wearing mm-hmm. the same outfit you would usually see Iggy Pop in. He's just got slightly bloodshot eyes Mm -hmm. and eats someone in the opening moments of the film. So there's a suggestion that's caused by climate change and the the world spinning off its axis due to fracking and things like that. So it's a, it's it's an nonsense. (laughs) It's an environmental film. It's not an environmental (laughs) film. It's environmentally friendly because they haven't sold many copies of it. So (laughs) not much plastic has been used. It's not used up a lot of resources, like especially no creative resources. Yeah, it doesn't really go anywhere, and it's um, meandering, slow and meandering. But it's Jim Jamush, and that's what he does. Mm. And it's just—I don't ma- think it works in this genre, though. To t- to be that slow and meandering, I can see where he was trying to take a different tone with a familiar mm. genre, but it just—it did not sit well with me. Many things about the film did not sit well with me. Yeah, you really did not like the metatextual moments in the film. No, they were very annoying. I did not like that at all. For, for the listeners out there that don't understand the word metatextual, not me, uh, can you explain? <laughs> um, Adam Driver's character spends a lot of the film saying it's not going to end well, it's not going to end well. It's like his catchphrase. And he says it towards the end and Bill Murray character says to him, why do you keep saying that? And Adam Driver says, because I read the script. And Bill Murray says, what? Mm. And Adam Driver says, oh, Jim Jarmusch gave me the script. I've read it to the end. I know what happens. It doesn't end well. And I did swear loudly and flounce mm-hmm. out of the room at that point. Well, then point. Bill Murray gets angry for the only time in the film because he's worked with Jim Jamush before. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Apparently Jim doesn't that trust him to give the script. Funny. Yeah, yeah. And then they just move on like it was never mentioned. 
Yeah, it's, oh, not, it's, 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 it's not like the film breaks down <laughs> at that point. It's just, um, what happens shortly afterwards? So uh, Adam Driver gives his keys to Tilda Swinton and his keyring is the Death Star and Tilda Swinton goes, ooh, Star Wars. And he goes, yes, that is a fictional film. Oh, <laughs> I think I had flanced out by this point and I was in the hallway shouting, for fuck's sake. Yeah, Tilda, <laughs> Tilda Swinton is amazing, isn't it? Tilda Swinton is ridiculous, isn't uh, it? Tilda Swinton is a Scottish... Why is she Scottish? Oh, I just... I'm pretty sure she's married to a Scottish guy and she cannot do a Scottish accent. But she's a Scottish morgue keeper who was in charge of the local morgue that can only hold two bodies. Uh, she's also an she expert... She dresses like a kung fu master. Well, she, she's, she's, she's also a kung fu master. She's like got katana Samurai swords. Sword. Yeah, so a, she wanders around casually pulling a sword out in the mortician. Can the, I finish your sentence? It's not called a mortician. <laughs> well, it's mortuary in the mortuary. She's wandering around with a samurai sword casually while wearing her gonna... full-on martial arts outfit and ridiculous eye makeup and, oh, my God. <laughs> I feel like we should have debate rules. John, you're your rebuttal. <laughs> but she's not Scottish, though. Yeah. Because Fine, towards, towards yes. the end, she's walking through a field and a spaceship appears and she just goes to the spaceship and the spaceship flies off. I yeah. screamed fuck off then as and well. And that's the end of her role in the film. Mm. Yeah. Now we we have uh, photographic evidence of the fact that you fell asleep during this film, John. So are you sure you didn't dream that? I moment? think Louise drugged me. <laughs> I didn't drug you. Jim Jarmusch drugged you with his nonsense. <laughs> but Iggy Pop's great, isn't it? Iggy Pop going, I'm going coffee. Yeah, I did think that was interesting. Like a zombie would usually wander around going brains, brains, but these zombies were all shouting about whatever they loved in life. Wi-Fi. So yeah, so there was like hipster zombies just stumbling around going Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi, and then Iggy Pop wanted was it he was he coffee? He was coffee, yeah. So there was a nice little montage at the end where all the people were wandering around just grunting for the thing they loved most. Oh, and all the kids at the toy shop. That was quite sad. Oh, child zombies is not nice. No, mm-hmm. that was quite disturbing. But even the idea of they want what they wanted when they were alive has been done before. In mm. uh, so Dawn of the Dead, they all go towards the shopping mall because they're, it's something that they remember from when they were alive and it's their best instinct is to go shopping. Dawn of the Dead got a whole sort of consumerist metaphor out of it. Jim mm-hmm. Jarmusch got one nice scene of all the zombies mumbling where you thought, oh, that's quite interesting. But RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan works for a delivery service called WooPS in it rather than UPS. <laughs> Okay, there's a few funny things <laughs> in like that, yeah. That was quite nice. Mm-hmm. If they all just wanted what they wanted in life, why do they also eat people? Because they're zombies. They have the uncontrollable urge to feast on human flesh. And find Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> it does muddy the waters a bit. It's not clear, mm-hmm. but nothing in the film was. I also thought that the first hour of it was just Shaun of the Dead, but in small town America, there were scenes that seemed like shot-by-shot rip there was a Screws reunion, wasn't there? That was nice. Yes, Carol Kane was in it. That was quite sweet. Yeah. That was quite fun. She wandered around going, and then they had to smash her head in. You see, it sounds like you enjoyed some elements of this film. Well, there was some nice moments, but there was some bits that made me scream, that's just from the X-Files, you lazy bastard, at <laughs> the television. So. Also, Tom Waits wandering around in the forest going, this is not going to him well. People are ants and answer people. I did look up about the film on IMDb and there was a whole thing about the ants in there that they made into a nice scene and apparently they just stumbled upon an anthill in the woods when they were filming it and decided to shoehorn the anthill into the film and it became the framing metaphor of the whole thing. It's almost like he was just making most of it yeah, as they went along. Yeah, it is a bit, yeah. <laughs> so, John, if you had to describe the film to someone who has never seen anything like it before, what would you, what would you tell them? Uh, hipster Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, that's pretty accurate, but less good. 
Not as funny. <laughs> yeah, but the nice little cat. You know, just an hour and a half of Bill Murray just being Bill Murray. I've seen him be a better Bill Murray than he was. He was there. so deadpan. He was beyond deadpan. It's so weird, just his complete lack of reaction to anything. Like, oh, there's a zombie. He never shows any expression except when he realises that he's not been given the script. <laughs> yeah, no, it was an infuriating film. Well, I enjoyed it, and that's all that matters because mm. you're a woman. Well, this that's is what, what Jim Jarmusch would have you believe. <laughs> I thought women were the quieter ones of the pair. <laughs> what are you saying, Pierre? <laughs> <laughs> it's just that I've never heard John not get the word Nedgeways quite so much <laughs> during a review as this particular one. <laughs> John is very clearly much less passionate about this film um, than Louise. Yeah, I think I hate it more than he likes it. So what would you give uh, The Dead Don't Die out of 10? I would give it 7 out of 10. Louise? 4 out of 10. The tributes to films that I actually like were nice. (laughs) (laughs) She said grudgingly. (laughs) You you get the feeling that they had a better time making the film Mm. than you're having watching the film. Not watching that then. (laughs) I think you'd get something out of it. I wouldn't. Possibly angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of you needs to watch it because it's a tie. Not it. <laughs> a deciding vote. Do we though? It's only 90 minutes. <laughs> it felt like longer. Well, uh, thank you, Louise, for taking one for the team and um, getting the welcome. message out there. Yeah. I hope people take this as a warning. And thank you, John, for coming perilously close to an actual recommendation for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for this segment, um, John and I have got some ideas for where Marvel could go next in phase four. So we're going to pitch them to um, Mr. Kevin Feige and his studio of associates. Thank you. I am Kevin Feige, and I'm a busy man, but I've found a tight window in my schedule to listen to some pitches. I want to know what is the future of the MCU? How are you going to take us to new heights? (laughs) That's me coming in the door. <laughs> it's I thought this was another code thing I didn't know about. Hello, Kevin. Hello, studio associates. First, I'd just like to say I absolutely love what you've done with the MCU. You've created spectacle and immense storytelling and wonder that I haven't seen on a scale since Star Wars. I have, thank you. <laughs> but there are a few issues that I'd like to discuss with you, and I'm hoping that you'll understand my concerns and work with me to open up the MCU to an even wider audience. Sounds good. Out of your top 15 characters' screen time, only four are women. Mm. Captain Marvel, Pepper Potts, Black Widow and Gamora. None of them are in the top five. In every single one of your MCU movies, males have the dominant amount of screen time. Aside from Captain Marvel, Hope Van Dyne in Ant-Man and the Wasp is a female character with the most screen time so far, clocking up 35 minutes in a 118-minute film. Given the overwhelmingly positive reaction to Captain Marvel in terms of box office and fan reaction, and the fact that, you know, it's the right thing to do, I would like to pitch you a new MC movie with an incredibly powerful female central character. And the working title for this is Valkyrie. I'm intrigued. I thought you said Val Kilmer me there for a second, <laughs> which is an entirely different film and one nobody wants to watch. All right, so here's what I'm thinking in terms of plot. We start with Thanos attacking the Asgardian refugee ship at the beginning of Infinity War, what we haven't seen. Valkyrie is preparing a defence when she is attacked by a new villain, Amora the Enchantress, who helps Thanos and his minions board the ship. 
Amora is a powerful sorcerer and a religious fanatic who explains that she believes Ragnarok described the death of every Asgardian and must come to pass as prophesied. So not what ended up happening in Thor Ragnarok, which resulted in the destruction of Asgard, but not all Asgardians. Valkyrie does her best to defend the civilians from Thanos, and we see her display some immense fighting skills. After the ship is destroyed and she realises she can't save anyone else, Valkyrie sets out to hunt down and stop Amora. She finds her, they have another epic battle, which Valkyrie is just about to win. Then we see Amora turn to dust by the snap. We then cut forward to post-Endgame and Valkyrie's coronation as the king of New Asgard. Everyone gets drunk and celebrates, but by the end of the night, Valkyrie is melancholy. She tells a close friend, slash lover, that the greatest threat to New Asgard's survival was brought back when the snap was undone. A flashback to her days in the Valkyrie Force show her earlier years and how Amora helped Hela wipe them all out, showing how dangerous Amora is. Back to the present, and the rest of the film proceeds as a cat and mouse game with Valkyrie trying to put a stop to Amora once and for all. I believe this is a winner for several reasons. Firstly, we never got to see Valkyrie or the other half of the Asgardians in Infinity War. Secondly, Endgame perfectly set up a fantastic jumping off point to keep telling the story of Asgard without relying on Thor or Loki. Who better to tell that story than the greatest drunken, hilarious bisexual female warrior, Valkyrie? Thank you. And thank you. That sounds great. I, for a start, like that it would expand on something that happened off screen from Infinity War. People love the richness and depth of the MCU and seeing another perspective on something that's already been explored is something that I think fans will really enjoy. It seems a good way to uh, push forwards with uh, something familiar, um, Asgard and the Asgardians, but into new territory and yeah, it being led by a new character um, rather than one of the old ones who have done, done that role before. Sounds like uh, something that, that I can sell and make lots of money, which is ultimately what it's all about. Any other questions? Amora sounds quite a lot like Gamora. Yes, Amora the Enchantress is from the comics, but that doesn't mean that we have to keep her name. You can always change it, as has been a president in the MCU. Could be an opportunity for some product placement. How about Budweiser the Enchantress? (laughs) (laughs) Could we have a man in it? No. (laughs) There are several men in it, it's just they're not the central characters. It's one of the Martin Freeman in an attempt to provide an entry point for straight white males. <laughs> <laughs> not saying that. When you that. say entry point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I- I'm willing to accept men. <laughs> <laughs> just generally. Don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> you should feel good. Don't know about men. Oh, plural, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. I'm willing to accept man. I've heard that about you. <laughs> I don't know. The last thing I saw Tessa Thompson in was Men in Black International. So I don't know if I could forgive her enough for that to give her a leading role in a new MCU film because that was a terrible film and it made me forget that she could act. So does Thor figure in the movie? He does not. No, this is Valkyrie's film. Thor is off with the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy lot. Valkyrie is front and centre of her own film. Who do we see playing Amora? Ooh, so I was thinking someone like Eva Green, someone like that. Oh, from Casino Royale. Yep. Mm. 
I can of, see yeah. that. Quite, quite, quite dark, quite pale. Yeah, she's quite um, witchy looking. She's mm. played like witch type characters before. And you dreadful yeah. and things. Yeah. 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 I also think that she hasn't been given ample opportunity to uh, be in any fight scenes. She's always seemed to be damsel in distress type character. Yeah, I can't think of anything where she's had that kind of role. Mm. Yeah, this is be something that you've never seen her before in. Kevin, get the checkbook out. Before you uh, green light that, can I suggest one word to you? <laughs> Swarm. I like that word. Okay, so this is a genuine Marvel character. Imagine a Nazi hiding in the jungle. Great start. As he's running through the jungle, evading people, he comes across a swarm of radioactive bees <laughs> that sting him to death. But his consciousness is transferred into the bees <laughs> who coalesce to form Swarm, a evil supervillain made entirely out of Nazi bees. <laughs> this is a real character. This is a real character in the Marvel Universe. Now, I thought Nazis, a bit out of date, but they're kind of making a comeback. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Very what true. What they need is a figurehead. <laughs> what they need is a figurehead. But what I thought was, you could actually go in. Let's let's combine reality and fiction, and instead of just a random Nazi, Donald Trump. Imagine Donald Trump made out of <laughs> angry of bees. Yeah, I can imagine that. And the Avengers somehow have to stop him. With oh, so he's a new. <laughs> he's a new villain then. He's a new villain. I you're proposing a. a film called swarm oh, it's about called the swarm. Nazi yeah B-man. yeah it is about the nazi b-man he's the main character but obviously he has to get billowed at the end or something it's a bit of a reversal the films would usually focus on the hero and not the villain exactly it's well, a new take well yeah, thanos yeah, yeah. yeah infinity war focused on thanos and that was successful it's very bold so are we going to get tragic backstory we're going to empathize with this uh, cloud of nazi, of nazi insects <laughs> You're not going to emphasise with him because he's a Nazi, but those bees were not always Nazis and they didn't have control over whose consciousness they absorbed, did they? Is there any kind of redemption story here? Can they be deprogrammed? Uh, Can the indoctrination be wiped from their minds and they go back to making radioactive honey? I think they could learn tolerance via a a, a messianic rabbi or something. (laughs) (laughs) It all sounds like a bee movie to me. But there's a sting in the tail. Oh, no. (laughs) Security, get them out of the office. But the tagline is just Nazi bees, because that's all you need. John, who's in this movie? Uh, Nicholas Cage. I knew it! (laughs) (laughs) Killing me will be back your goddamn honey. He's already got the lines. So which Avengers would you have, seeing as most of them aren't there anymore? Um, I've got a new Avenger. Alanis Mora's set becomes an Avenger. She's ironic man. <laughs> ironic man. Ironic That's man. That's why it's ironic. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she's trying to kill him with a knife, but all she can find is 10,000 spoons. <laughs> 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 Which, uh, as you know, I have no use against bees whatsoever. <laughs> and she's just been stung going, oh, the irony. That's the... <laughs> Is that the finale? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kevin, put the checkbook away. <laughs> <laughs> Lock it away securely. <laughs> Oh, and maybe if you get stung by the bee, maybe you become a Nazi. Oh. Do some of the Avengers get temporarily turned into Nazis, maybe? Well, if a bee stings you, it dies, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So maybe they they find, like, the most nicest left-wing Avenger or superhero who Who will be... Who is the nicest, most left-wing Avenger? (laughs) Uh, The Hulk's quite... When he's Bruce Banner, he's Mm. a man of peace, isn't he? 
Yeah. Or when he's like smart Hulk. Yeah. Or Hawkeye, fuck it, just sacrifice Hawkeye. Oh, John, you love Hawkeye. So Hawkeye is like the nicest Avenger. I mean, he wasn't in the last film, he went a bit... Yeah, he did go a bit crazy, didn't he? Maybe they just found like the little child from Iron Man 3. And he like sacrifices himself because he knows like if the bees sting him, the bees will die. He covers himself like in honey and left-wing <laughs> slogans. I think we're looking at an 18 rating here. <laughs> I just stands amongst the bees while they sting him and he gets more and more right-wing until he explodes. But he can, because he's so nice, he can control the right-wingness and he just says dodgy things about women and minorities every so often. <laughs> <laughs> the last shot is him sticking his head in the flower going, mmm, pollen, and you realise the bees have taken over. And then his, his head comes back out of the flower and he's got a Hitler moustache. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the pollen bit is like a little tash underneath the nose. And how faithful is this to the source material? Uh, it's incredibly faithful. Yeah. It's a, it covers comic books numbers one to seven, mm. which I believe is probably six episodes more than the comic book lasted. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's unique. But they can cure him. How can they cure him? With a sting operation. I mean, there's plenty of early buzz about the film. (laughs) The main thing that comes to mind is that if we were to make this film, I think it'd be literally impossible to do it without Nicolas Cage. Mm -hmm. So I can't really argue with the casting Nobody else could could do that, could they? Nobody else could be a Nazi B-man. No, well, he's he's got previous with bees, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Has he played a Nazi before? He must have done. (laughs) Is this your works phone you're searching this on? (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. Yes, um, Ma- <laughs> Mandy's sequel could involve Nicolas Cage fighting Nazis. Ooh. No way. It doesn't really say that. It really does. What year was Mandy set in? Eighties, early eighties. Yeah. They're making another Mandy. Every film is now Mandy. So will you, Kevin Feige, give me £25 for my Nazi B-movie? Well, thanks for coming in, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed listening to it. I think it would be one of the most horrific things ever committed to film. Um, that kind of makes me want to watch it a little mm. bit. Not that much. Not that much, mm. no. Not enough that I would pay £25 to have it made. I'd perhaps go as high as 17 50 Deal. <laughs> but we'll have to use real bees. <laughs> Did what you... would be the alternative? <laughs> Pom poms on strings. Nicholas Cage in a black and yellow t shirt going bzzz, bzzz. I want to see that now. I got stung by a bee once. 20 quid for a pot of honey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've heard two phenomenal, unique, and in their own ways, beautiful pitches there. Uh, But we only have enough money to make one of these films. So, my panel of experts, which of the two films, Valkyrie or Swarm, will be in phase mm. four. Valkyrie. Yes, powerful female warrior or Nazi B-man. <laughs> Though now you put it that way. <laughs> I think it will have to be Valkyrie. Right, Hazel, a large check. Yay. Valkyrie it is. I'm very sorry, Swarm. And that is all we've got time for for this week's episode of Nerdfest. We will be back in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, remember to check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. If you feel inclined, you enjoyed this episode, um, we would love you to submit a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. That, that massively helps us out. But yeah, until next time, you've been listening to 
Louise Taylor, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, a man who really wants Swarm to be made, <laughs> and Marvel's latest screenwriter. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. He's a man, he's a bee, he's also part Nazi, he's swarm. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go in.